0: You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grapier, and today's episode is with Marissa Nadler. She's known for making music that's failed in mystery, music that's dark and smoky. And on her most recent album, a lot of that has changed while still retaining some of those elements that we've grown to love. On From My Crimes, we're seeing Marissa being quite more revealing but in a way that's universal, in that way where you can hear the experiences she's singing about and place yourself in specific moments of time from your own life. And in a lot of ways, that's what music is intended to. It's intended to make you reflect on your own mistakes, on your own experiences, on your own joys. And that's what makes this record so stellar. It does that. It was a real pleasure getting to talk to Marissa about her album and Finding out not just how she challenged herself lyrically, but also musically. Because one of the best things about Fermite Crimes is that it really is one of those records where an artist is stepping it up. And big kudos to Marissa for achieving that. So, yeah, let's just jump right into it. This is the 405 exchange with Marissa Nadler. Enjoy. <laughs> I funny with well, your album Strangers, it was one of those albums that affected me quite a bit like when I listened to it and a bit afterwards. Um, it felt like you were saying such poignant things while making sure that the details were veiled enough so that way people could put themselves into the situations without having the very specific points. Uh, when it came to working on For My Crimes, was it difficult for you to approach songwriting in a different way? because? listening to that album, it felt like things were very different for you.
1: Um, I think that on For My Crimes, I also try to keep like the known names and things like that so that people can insert themselves into the songs without and being able to relate to them. Even with the specificity, I'm hoping at least that um, the the thematic subject matter reaches people.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think it was easy to write this song. I mean, these songs because I felt the need to write them. Strangers was a weird record for me actually because I wasn't feeling all that creative at the time. Um, they're very different records like one is almost like fictional fiction and non-fiction
0: yeah and you know just speaking on a musical level with uh for my crimes it does feel like you're very much invigorated like within the songs themselves especially creatively like what do you think that that's attributed
1: to i guess i feel like i count myself lucky and that i'm an artist that is Never really like well. At least up until this point, I've maintained enough anonymity that like I keep trying to best myself, if that makes any sense. Like because I haven't like blown up or gotten huge, or like strangers was successful critically, but not um, in terms of like getting people to come to the shows and that kind of ability. Like I just. I wanted to prove myself, but at the same time, it was very much that I didn't need to seek out the muse. It was uh, these songs were very healing for me to write and very therapeutic for me to write, as opposed to, like, strangers. I would, like so this record's closer to July, in it's some um, the type of songwriting, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and I'm definitely going to ask you about some specific songs. Before I do, though, uh, one of the things that was really interesting with you previously is that you also toured a lot, and you also released "Bury Your Name, and which sonically feels like almost like a bridge between strangers and For My Crimes. Would mm-hmm. that be fair to say in some ways?
1: Yeah, you know, "Bury Your Name was uh, a bunch of demos, really, that did not make it onto the record. So I, there were other songs that I kind of wrote around the same time and my home recording process is really extensive so i had a bunch of songs and um, but i was listening back to it and it did seem like maybe i cut those from the record at the time because they were too revealing and now i don't care anymore (laughs) it's kind of like you have to take risks as an artist and it is a risk to write this kind of record where I feel really emotionally bare and then to have to talk about it and release it into the world and see reviews about it is pretty tough but you're rewarded because that type of art reaches people more
0: I agree and I think something you really achieved before my crimes, like getting to experience that record and I do have specific songs I want to ask you about I should warn you, none of them are going to be about the specific subject matter. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, okay.
1: I mean, we can get into a little bit. Really. But, but
0: the reason for that actually, like what I wanted to say is because I think what you really achieved on that record is that it's a record that I listen to and I get a sense of a feeling and a place of time, but I'm not really left with any questions. I feel like the emotions of what you're singing the songs, it doesn't leave me to wonder too much. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. And um, I wonder, like, just uh, before we go into the songs, when I look back on, uh, uh, like, specifically the songs off Bear Your Name that, you know, didn't make it onto Strangers, and you just described how those were, like, a little bit more revealing. I mean, do you have fond memories of making songs like that? Like, those type of songs?
1: No, I mean, I guess (laughs) (laughs) I... It's hard for me to even think about, like, whether... I'm so deeply ingrained with the fact that what I do and what I am is, are the same like l- songwriting isn't a career for me it's it's so much more than that it's yeah. so like I've had many day jobs but i and I could I tried to quit music at one point and it's just like this is what I do for life so it's never really a fun process, but I enjoy songwriting very much, and I love writing beautiful, making beautiful things with turning whatever emotion it is that into something beautiful. Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I totally get where you're coming from, in, in some respects, because uh, I, I'm a photographer uh, initially, like that's mainly what I do, and it's what I enjoy the most. And there's definitely an element of like nowadays having to sell yourself and making yourself almost like a brand just yeah. to sustain But the duality aspect of that is like this is something I would be doing no matter what Yet it is the only thing I want to do. And mm-hmm. It's like finding that reckons reconciliation and that's very strange in a lot of ways But for as a musician, it's like that's so trippy to me like even for me when I spend so much time with musicians It's like you're literally Telling your life story in so
1: many ways. Yeah, this is the first record that I've had where art and life have collided in a really um, tough way. Yeah. Like I had read, you know, over the years. Obviously, I've been m- making music for a long time, so I have had to read reviews, and I've I'm sensitive, like most artists, and taken some of them to heart. We're talking about. Being distant, or something. So, part of the removal of the reverb was to show that, like, there's sometimes I think that that gauze can cover up too much of the meat of the songs, like, how much structure and detail is really there.
0: It's really funny to hear you point that out because now thinking back to when i was listening for my crimes it's like a lot of the songs do feel very close like it almost feels like not that you're singing in a whisper but you're singing in a close proximity uh-huh. to where i am and like it does evoke a very like it's a near tangible feeling
1: it's funny you said that because i decided to work with justin and Lawrence, the producers for this record because when I, I heard angel's last record angel Olson and she's a friend of mine and I put it on and I loved the way her voice sounded. It was so intimate and so I just looked at who produced it and where it was recorded and fo- uh, followed Lawrence on Instagram and he was like, Oh my God, I love your music. Like That's it was easy. It all felt together really easy. I just kind of the power of modern communication, <laughs> I guess, but he used, Lawrence wanted to use a binaural microphone and there are microphones that are inside of a head and basically, like, that microphone has a lot to do with the closeness of the sound, like the vocal sound. And binaural mics are used a lot in, like, Tom Waits records, I think, and Sparkle Horse. I don't know, really, but (laughs) I guess it, there is a different vocal sound on this because I wanted to kind of show people that I was sick of reading the words ethereal and ghostly. I mean, sure, I am, <laughs> I guess, but at the same time, there's so much work that goes behind it and those kinds of descriptors can be kind of, um, like, don't reveal the detail that goes into
0: them. There's a question that I actually have in regards to what you just handed at. that's going to come on later in the talk. You're going to love it, I swear. Before I jump into the music, again, I think it's the second time I said that, there is one thing I definitely want to ask that just, just came into my mind when I considered the record and the way you just described that just now. Because you mentioned the element of home recordings, and I wonder like, is there one specific room you find yourself recording within the house, or do you find yourself going to several different rooms?
1: Yeah, well, I, rec- I have... Up, I mean, my studio. Like, I have my computer is in one room, so I have like a bed, bedroom, and then the kind of art and music studio in one room. And so, it's it is what it is. It's not my ideal situation, which is exactly why I went to Laurel Canyon to a beautiful studio. Even though my own home recordings have gotten better over the years to the point where my highest streamed song is a demo on spotify i love hearing that Mm -hmm. and it was recorded on an internal mic of a laptop and that was a big wake-up call for me in terms of like listening to my own instincts instead of like like oh you need this producer and this band and this drum sound it's like i was actually told by dropped by a record label many years ago, at this point, and they had wanted, requested three songs with drums on the record. (laughs) (laughs) Just little stuff like that I've been, I think when you're a delicate or seemingly delicate woman musician, people feel like they can tell you, like give you unsolicited advice. But I took it to heart. Yeah, yeah, kind
0: of like fail suggestions, but they're really like orders in a weird way. It's such a strange thing to deal with, you know. But look
1: at you. Now I'm, yeah, this is like, I liked working with these guys because they were like, man, I don't think you should have a band on this at all. And it was also, I wanted to play as many instruments as I could on this record. And they were like, no weaver. It's just like, it's just, Rah. <laughs> I like that. You that must know? have been so affirming. It was fun. It so, was.
0: Yeah, so tell me this. When did you start working on My Crimes? And was it clear to you that you were working towards another album? I always like to ask musicians this because I think it's very understated how much writing most musicians, and I imagine you as well, do just when you're not only on the road but also at home.
1: There was, yeah, there was two years, I guess, in between. Like, Strangers came out in 2016, I think. and. You know, just the way it is, like I had signed it to, like, it was a kind of time to make another record, because that's what I do, but I'm always writing and recording. It just, sometimes having a deadline really helps me to focus my um, my songs and energy, so what well, by the time I had like 30 songs, I felt like, okay, there's probably a record here. Oh, okay. And um, it wasn't like I was... Specifically setting out to write a record, and it all happened linear, linearly, I had much more than 11 songs, and we just picked the best ones, but they're thematically all related because I kept writing about what it was going through at the time. Yeah.
0: And just, you know, jumping into the music, I mean, the start of Blue Vapour, I mean, that right there paints such a vivid picture without giving too much away, yet doesn't leave any questions to be asked. And I wonder, do you feel like that song itself was a creative turning point for you in some ways?
1: Yeah, it's Blue Vapour and For My Crimes, actually almost half the record was written the week before I went into the studio. So sometimes, like, the writing process isn't always the way you plan it out like I thought I had enough material and then Justin gave me some tough love, he emailed me back like literally like three or four days before I went into the studio I'm like I don't know man I just don't think he really, he's like the Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> of indie rock producers <laughs> and he he kind of was like not sure if I had like a, a singles or whatever and not it's funny people don't think of my music that way but I, I took it to heart, and I, I wondered if there were more, was more, and I wrote Blue Vapor, I think, right after I got that email, as well as for my crimes, and a lot of catastrophes, and um, the car song, like, wow. all the best songs on the record, so sometimes, like, a little bit of tough love, even though my work ethic is pretty hardcore, I think it did help me to push. It was painful to hear that, but
0: it pushed me. Is that even like a conscious thing? Because I hear that, like I think back to what you just said about like how you had about 30 songs that you wrote over the course obviously of two years. But I'd find, I would imagine that to be so exhaustive. So to like find yourself writing after that initial email, and obviously it turned out great, it's just like... Wow. <laughs> Sometimes,
1: like I do, feel like I was like I'll show him, <laughs> you know, and that that, that kind of healthy, compi- like, healthy game-like attitude can be kind of fun, yeah. as opposed to somebody telling me, oh, everything's beautiful, can't wait. That's not very helpful.
0: That's um, a good point. It's not helpful at all. It doesn't. There's nothing within saying that that's gonna help you grow really. You
1: know, yeah, and as my, I have a background as an art educator, so I very much <laughs> believe in work ethic over talent yeah. and and you know all that stuff so I'm willing to put the time in but you as an artist you have to be willing to to be rejected and be criticized on a public forum.
0: Yeah, I really bloody do. You know, and we're just going a bit further with Blue Vapor, i just love to also ask about the music video because um, oh, yeah. I'd really love to hear about how that came together. Because I think one of the things you achieved very well in that video is, along with it just being, obviously, a beautiful video, it is it does a really great job of conveying the tone of the track itself. I feel like that's a really good achievement, of that.
1: Yeah, so I'm pretty... Picky about fine art because I have, I have a painter and a background as a fine artist. The and my last record I made two of the stop motion animation videos and uh, so I wasn't just going to pick anybody, even though I knew I didn't want to make any more videos because I'm too busy. And so we got six or seven treatments and all of them, were, well, they were all fine and good. But um, Thomas's was the. I just looked at his Instagram and I was like, that's really cool looking. And it just got me visually excited as an artist. I'm not that interested in linear storytelling in songs and in... I I wanted the video to be a feeling instead of a um, linear narrative. So I just took one look at his work and I knew he was the only person on the list that could make me explode, like actually or make two people explode, or make a house turn into vapor. And I I didn't want realist, I wanted wow. And so we did like the green screen where he shot me just lip syncing. And then we worked an email where I, I kept telling him, like, be weirder. Don't be afraid to make it really weird. And we decided on a monochromatic color scheme. He was so... I think it came out great and I can't wait to work with him again. It's the first video that I've had where I think it's my definitely up there with my videos. Oh, that's that's fucking beautiful. Uh,
0: And you know, obviously I'm definitely really curious to hear about how the title track came about, particularly how you approach the singing of it, because I feel like out of all the songs I heard, the way your voice is dancing off the guitar in that song, it works so well and I wonder like, what, like How did that come together initially? Like the diction in which you're singing the song itself?
1: You know, my new voice, I guess it, it almost feels like a new voice. Because I would listen to some of my early records and yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> like I think the songwriting was always pretty good, but like I can't listen to my second record at all because of the vocal affectation. And so oh. the past three records, when I quit and started again, it had like a second act. My vocals are just a lot... It, I found my voice in that break, I think, where I... my It's much of more m- lower register, more natural, less affected. And I think it had a lot to do with me listening to a lot of crooners, like Sammy Smith, Tammy Wynette, and a lot of like really classic singers. Nina Simone is my all-time favorite, so I just was listening to a lot of great vocalists, and that really rubbed off. I was like, I can... But in terms of for my crimes, I... I mean, it just kind of happened naturally, I guess. I didn't say, all right, I'm going to sing it low. Sometimes songs for me just... Come, that was one of the ones that I wrote in one sitting and never really even changed the lyrics. Wow. And other ones, I... Um, laboriously tear apart.
0: That's fucking massive. And you know, I meant to ask this earlier, Marissa, but like, what came first? The um, title of the album or the title of the track?
1: The track, um... So, I guess I could get... I, um... After the email came in, um... Ryan... Uh, he said... Uh, I said, give me an assignment. It was, oh. it was an assignment. And I said, thank you. I ran off into my study. Sometimes all you need is a little kick in the ass, you know? And Absolutely. It was a great assignment because I wrote it as if I was a man on death row, being actually literally strapped into like a gurney and like watching behind the glass. And the lyric is like, when they take me down the corridor, and secure my wrist with ties, I'll be tracing the outline of your body next to mine. So it's a very dark love song, actually. Yeah. And also very much, the minute I wrote it, though, I, it wasn't about death row anymore. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, yeah. just because of what I was, like, personal life stuff. It was very much about guilt and forgiveness. And... Um, I was excited because I really want my music to not be exclusive, not be a hipster or pretentious. I want a lot of people to be able to relate to the songs since I knew For My Crimes was one that I think was gonna reach people and I was looking for a title of the record and it just seemed like it was between that and all out of catastrophes, but <laughs> a lot of catastrophes sounded too like cutesy or funny and
0: I don't want to say that Greeks are more hipster.
1: Exactly. And I'm not <laughs> really a hipster like I'm I'm really really pure in that way. I guess I just wanted it to stand to be a like there's so many titles of records that are just like, ugh, like I wanted it to grab people and be like, whoa, what the hell is that about?
0: Well, it's something you really grabbed before you just said, that element of uh, guilt and forgiveness. It's something that's been on my mind a lot recently, particularly the element of like how, if you were to go outside and just pick any random person, there's probably an element of guilt they have, are feeling or have, have felt at some point in their life. But when you think about how it is to navigate life, it's very rare to talk about it. So coming across a record like yours where that's very much prevalent, it just intrigues me that, like, it's like almost like a reminder of like, oh wow, other people feel these things, and it's okay to actually like talk about them. And the way you describe what inspired the song just now, like that, I love that story.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was a lot of people kind of involved in little ways, like I. There's this episode, do you remember the show Six Feet Under? Oh, totally. So it's yeah. like my favorite show of all it's time. It's one of my
0: favorite shows that I bring up, and like, i it's usually, i always, cut. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, I'll bring it up, and pe- most of the time, people don't know what I'm talking about, and I'll describe it, and they'll think it's the craziest type of show to be described about. Oh
1: my god, I, it's like all-time favorite show, it's and my favorite for me. there's a scene where Claire and her art school boyfriend, like, come upon cutting out of the uh, cutting up of the photographs together and then she like makes a career out of it and then they fight about like <laughs> the idea it was and, I mean I'm not going to get too much into like that whole thing just cuz my life is still happening and I can't quite talk about it in a retrospect uh, no, of course so. however I will say like that it's funny to talk about like that song just because, it, or to, to talk about the record, because it was a few different people, I have to credit for giving me some ideas. Like, ideas can come from anywhere, and it used to be receptive, but it, I, we were joking about the Six Feet Under thing. I was like, yeah, That's <laughs> really but I mean, the difference is, it's not exactly comparable, but yeah.
0: No, I hear that. <laughs> Now I desperately want to rewatch that show. Now oh, that's, you should! Uh, <laughs> so good. It's been a long, long time. Uh, you know, one thing I was very keen on asking you about when I knew I was going to talk to you, I mentioned this briefly on the elevator, is that uh, we share a really good mutual friend, uh, April. Yeah. Who's an Incredible photographer. She's someone I love dearly. She's
1: such an incredible photographer.
0: Yeah. She put me on to music years ago, and I remember like um, something she was very excited about. Cause she did your the cover art for Strangers, and she was telling me how she felt very proud that she captured what she felt the music was evoking. And she, I saw the photo first before I heard your music, and I'm sure in some way that definitely informed how I heard the album for the first time. But I just remember listening to the album going like, "Wow, she really did do that."
1: She really did for that record because that record is a tricky one for me. I felt like a little bit almost. I was censoring myself a tiny bit in terms of like not feeling like I could, I was just about to get married and I didn't feel like I could really write about that because people would be like, what the fuck? So I was like <laughs> writing about the apocalypse and, and, and birds falling out of the sky and I remember Randall Dunn, who is an amazing producer and I will work with him again, yeah. like I just, I wanted to try something different for this one. But he, I love Randall so much, and he said to me, he said, you know what, Marissa? You know what, I think this record isn't about the end of the world. It's about the end of your world. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck ah. you! <laughs> I was, I got really mad at him, because he was so right. You
0: must have felt very seen at that moment. I
1: did, because the, 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 the record is very veiled, Strangers. And I still love the record, but... It's really sonically expansive, and but like my my specific songwriting style, yeah, there was like strangers lit the fire, strangers, came and I'm just like, what are, like it's really out there. I was like reading books about the apocalypse and everything but looking it was looking outward with the same themes is looking inward, and you know, it was just a funny time, but yeah, her picture totally sums up that record,
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> covering
1: my eyes and. Yeah. Do you know what? This is
0: like probably the biggest aside we've probably ever had on the podcast. But like, what is it with musicians that find themselves in a phase where they're reading books about the apocalypse? I feel like that's kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, I. I was just like, when you're on when. It's like what I do for a kind of it's weird to have what you do for a living be making art because you can't constantly rely on inspiration. And I don't necessarily believe in the muse. Like I think it's a very dangerous precedent to set that you have to wait for the muse or like destroy your body or fuck up your life in order to be visited by some like patron saint of songwriting or like diet twenty seven. So I was reading books about the apocalypse for inspiration because I just wasn't (laughs) feeling it in Boston and didn't know, I I, I don't know, I guess maybe I was drawn to it because I did feel like freaked out about things changing. I'm not exactly sure, I've always been attracted to stuff like that, yeah. the macabre.
0: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me though, when you frame it in that way, because yeah. it's just like, that's so adverse to what is in our day-to-day life in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the reasons I brought Abra up in the cover of Strangers, though, is because the cover for uh, for My Crimes is a painting that you do. And I'd love to hear you talk about that, like how that came about.
1: Interestingly enough, it's the first record i put one of my own pieces of artwork on, and I think that says a lot, just like Strangers did. like. This is probably my most bare record, and it, I'm like, uh, and I felt like that about putting my painting on the cover too, because the first, my first love was painting, I, I wanted to be, like, the next Picasso. I mean, I, my entire childhood I was in the basement copying Da Vinci, and, like, I, was, I went to RISD, I studied painting, I have a master's degree in art education, so it was this whole other side of me that I kind of kept secret a little because I'd never made... My music career just kind of took on a life of its own, and I stopped painting seriously, and then I felt like I had nothing to show for it. So I was scared to put it out there, because you're judged, and I still have, like, delusions that... I still want to maybe do that in my life, so it's like an important debut, so I agonized about it. I kind of wanted to put a photo on the cover of my sacred bones, like, and my people, my managers and stuff, they pushed me in the right direction, they said, don't be afraid to share these parts of you. It's not embarrassing to have to have had a day job these years. I kept that whole thing private because I thought, It was a sign of not being successful, but I don't like you know the thing about the Cosby Show guy recently. Yeah, how that went up on Twitter and people were yeah, thank you, like defending him, saying there's nothing wrong with having to work at Trader Joe's. Like the like that's why we just passed the Music Modernization Act. Like I had to have a job, and I was an art teacher, and there's nothing to be ashamed about, you know. So. I wanted to just show people, Oh, yeah, I'm also a painter, here's another entry level into my world. That's massive. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, you want to have a myth, like myth-making is kind of part of, of uh, any performing artist. It's like you have to put some kind of image forth, and so, yeah, that I, I think... I don't really care about that anymore. It's a good thing.
0: That's brilliant. I do have one more question mm-hmm. for you, but before we do that, I just want to ask once more about the music, particularly about with, with the experience of making for my crimes. I love asking musicians about this. When you look back to being in the studio and writing and recording the songs, is there one specific memory that sticks out to you that just brings you kind of joy? Yeah, in relation a couple. To yeah. It's
1: all with the, the guest vocals, actually. Like. Really? When Kristen from um, Dum Dum Girls like
0: yeah, the sang
1: the harmony on Blue Vapor, my jaw dropped. I was like, Oh my God! I'm so <laughs> excited because it wasn't something I would ever have sung. It was a, f- a harmony that I wouldn't have sung, and it was so cool. That like the end of Blue Vapor, oh, she goes. Emba. I would have gone to like a third or a fifth because my roots are in like country, folk blues and rock and roll, whereas she comes from a different um, background musically, I think, and so, and when Angel sent back her track, it, it was just all those moments of like, being able to collaborate with these these women that I've been friends with, with finally mustered up the strength to ask, like, hey, would you do a vocal? And they were like, yeah, I'd love to, and it was, it was those were my happy moments, just, like, getting to hear people I really respect sing on my songs. It's big.
0: Because I mean, going back to what we said at the beginning, it's like with your music, you create essentially a world, and it's like you're inviting your friends into your own world.
1: Exactly, and so, and the fact that the other happy moment was realizing I didn't need reverb anymore. Like, kind of like, wow, this is like almost bone dry in places, and I I I could never have imagined that 10 years ago.
0: I remember like years ago, a friend of mine was having a conversation with uh, Matthew Bellamy, the singer of Muse. And I was like in the vicinity and I overheard it. I was not part of this conversation, but I overheard him, Matthew Bellamy, and I'm paraphrasing, saying that the thing that terrifies him the most is being in a situation where he would have to sing without reverb, autotune, or anything like that, where people could hear his voice that mm-hmm. bare. And it's interesting, because you think about someone like that at that type of place, and it's like, you could still have that fear. So it was kind of a bravery, you know?
1: Yeah, and it all came with me realizing what I liked about my favorite music. Like, I was like, God, Elliot Smith doesn't use reverb. Joni Mitchell, like, it was like, what do you really love about song- this type of songwriting? And I, I love hearing somebody's voice in my ear. I wanted to give my listeners the same sensation, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'm a really big Leonard Cohen fan. Something I love about him is I kind of, anytime I listen to his music, I almost picture him in like an apartment or a house by himself, just singing when he's in the hallway. Like, has that quality to it.
1: And he has never reverb on his voice either. And he has a reedy kind of. I love, obviously, it's no secret I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan, but like. Yeah, if you really think about it, it's like the background vocals have reverb, but his is right up front and dry. You can hear every word, and it was like a big thing with growing confidence, finally. Like, it's never too late. As I'm, I like to inspire young artists. Like, it's never too late to make your best record or to evolve. Like there's no aging. I mean, I'm talking like I'm like 60. I mean, but that's funny because because if it's like past 25, you're like old news, you know. And it's it's, the weirdest thing. It is so weird, but I mean, it's like yeah, if you keep trying, you do keep getting better.
0: That's so true. Uh, Before I have you run here, I mentioned earlier how I definitely have a question you're gonna love in relation to something you were talking about, and we got to this point. Mm -hmm. What I really wanted to ask you is that I'm sure you're always asked about the tone of your songs and the feelings they convey and you brought up the word ghostly and eternal and how people use those words. I wonder do you feel as an artist feel like there's elements of your music that people miss when they pinpoint on those elements?
1: Yeah, well I do. I mean like I think and, and that's why I took the reverb off a little bit because I'm like I put s- my guitar playing never gets talked about in reviews whatsoever and I'm, like I take a lot of pride in it and that's why I didn't have any other people playing guitar on this record so every lick you hear is mine and I read something where it's still credited it to somebody else and then things like that like the, the structure this actual songwriting I mean I, for me it's a craft that I work hard at, so when I just read like descriptors like the ghosty, it, it doesn't give you a lot of credit. And um yeah. yeah, so, but I mean, I think ghostly and ethereal is, is a cool thing to be, but...
0: Just not the only thing.
1: Exactly. I'm yeah. fine with it, because they agree that that's part of it. That's an interesting way
0: to say that. It's like, that's a really good point. It's like if you're pinpointing on two or three elements of a song in any facet, you are missing out on the craft.
1: Yeah so i mean it's it's um i know we're living in an era where publications have to use descriptors for clickbait and they're not necessarily doing it on purpose to downplay like the amount of time that they want to grab your attention if you're have a goth fan base you're going to say like gothy songwriter and um (laughs) if you have like a if you're a roots magazine you're going to call me a roots musician and i'm fine with that if it gets people to actually listen so yeah
0: Oh, I'm really glad I got to Chaffee finally. I've been a fan of music for a while and the record's fantastic. I haven't had a chance to see you live yet, so I'm looking oh, forward to that. Yeah, yeah,
1: can't wait. Um, it's really nice to meet you too. Yeah, Thanks sure. for having me. Yep. Does it matter what you say? It's all